0: Thank you for that, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here. And good morning to our friends online. We know you're there. We can't see you, but we know you're there. I was thinking about that show when I was a kid. There was one where they'd hold the magnifying glass, and I see Jimmy, and I see Sue, and I see... But we know you're out there somewhere. This morning, we are continuing our series. It's called Humble Hope in Today's World. And it's a study of the letters that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church long ago that continue to speak fresh to us today. So we're going to get in this morning to chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 of 2 Thessalonians, the sequel. So 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. But before we uh, read it, I have a preface that I want to offer you that's going to give you some context for how I'm approaching this word today. Um, Friday was my birthday, and I don't say that to to get any kind of accolades. No, I really don't, because in the end, it really is just another ring around the trunk. It's really okay. Um, But... Uh, age aside, that's not really the thing. What makes my birthday special to me is that it was 22 years ago on that day that I surrendered my life to Christ. And, and that, to me, is worth celebrating. You see, before, before that, that day, August 21st, uh, before that day, I know I would have looked just like Nicodemus when Jesus, he was having this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus told him, hey, look, in order to experience eternal life, you know, you have, to, you have to have a new birth. You have to have a new birth from above. You have to be born again or born again from above. And, I'm, and like Nicodemus is like, wait, what, what do you even mean by that? And I know I would have had the exact same expression. Like, what do you mean I have to be born again or born from above? But I have to tell you, that's exactly what happened to me. That's exactly what happened to me that night. It really was a rebirth, a restart, or, or if you're a technical person, an entire system wipe and reboot, you know. What happened to me that night of August 21st, 22 years ago, still fuels my passion for ministry and especially for evangelism. Because I, I was lost and, and then I was found. And I know and can testify to the power of the gospel to create new life in the heart of someone who receives it. Before August 21st, that day, I was a, a terribly prideful person. I was callous to the needs of anyone around me. And I, uh, to be honest, I could not love anyone besides myself. And that evening, uh, just before 9.22 that, that night, I was confessing all that before God. I, I was alone in, in painful detail. Lord, you know how prideful I am. You know how callous I am. And you have, you have seen that I, there's something wrong. I cannot love anyone except myself in, in painful detail. And I remember confessing all that before God And then being overwhelmed by the weight of his forgiveness. And then after that, I literally put my hands up in the air. Again, I was by myself. And it looks like a surrender because it is. I I surrendered. And I said, "I, I give up. I give up my life to you, Lord. And if you want to take any scrap of this junk pile and use it for yourself, then, then you can have it. Use me for your glory. Whatever you, you want, I, I'm, I'm yours. And here I am, 22 years later. And it was what happened that night, that conversion, that experience of being born again, that fuels my passion for ministry even today. Because I I know. I know the power of the gospel to bring new life to anyone who believes it. Now, I know for some people, I've been around the church now enough, not just here, even, even the wider church, other churches uh, that that can be confusing language, even in the church. What, what do you mean you got to be born again or you got you get, you get a new start? Maybe it's frustrating, too, for some people. Uh, maybe it's language that you're, you're not used to hearing about, you know, how people come to faith. And I, I know it's a phrase, this idea of being born again or or born from above and, and, and fresh start and coming to new faith. It's, it's been abused maybe some ways and, and misused maybe in other ways. But I, I agree with Paul. I, I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel, He wrote this in Romans 1, 16. Uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to bring salvation to all who believe it. And so this morning, before we again look at God's word, uh, and you're here online, you're here hearing me live. I just want to say, if, if you're not all in, if you're still trying to balance out living your own life, by, but keeping God somewhere in your pocket like as a, a good luck charm, um, that's never going to be enough. It's never going to feel enough. It's never going to be solid enough ground to stand on, especially when things get tough. Because faith in Christ, it's, it's not intended to be like a, a good luck charm or like an eternal so, uh, insurance plan. You see, Jesus died for all of you to experience forgiveness. And then he came back from the grave three days later to show us that new life is here through him for all of us. And he invites us then to be filled by the Holy Spirit through which God can do amazing things in you and through you and around you. So if you're hearing my my voice today, and, and that's your condition I'm just going to say, please, let Christ in. Empty yourself out first and let Christ in fully. Now let's pray before we enter God's word. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for that, that night 22 years ago at 9.22 in the p.m. I, I remember because I, I looked up and the clock ticked. And, and I, I just felt, remember this moment. Uh, Lord, but that is uh, a a common grace that you extend to everyone. And so, Lord, I thank you again for uh, leading me, and I pray, Lord, that you continue to lead my brothers and sisters here to uh, a deep faith in you that we'd go all in, just as the Thessalonian believers did, and Paul wrote to them such a passionate letter of encouragement and warning and instruction. We receive that now as words to us as well. Fill us by your word. Teach us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, our Savior and Lord, amen. Okay, we have uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're looking at chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to read these words to you. Let's stand, please, for a reading from God's Word. This is Paul, again, writing to the Thessalonians, saying, Finally, brothers and sisters... Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified everywhere, just as it is among you, and that we may be received, or rescued from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will go on doing the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Of course, that's a a, a recitation a recitation that we do each week. When we read from God's Word, we, we say this is the Word of the Lord. If we read something from the Gospels, we say this is the Gospel of the Lord for which we give thanks. This uh, this call and response that happens after reading actually doesn't have a super deep history uh, in the church. It's been around for a little less than 100 years, um, but it's fitting because we're saying thank you for the Word of the Lord, and that's again any place that we would read from the Scriptures, we're saying thank you for the Word of the Lord. And, and this phrasing, the Word of the Lord, is very important. It's in our reading today, as Paul says, pray that the Word of the Lord go out rapidly. Right. Um, this idea of the Word of the Lord emerges. This call and response uh, that we do in the modern church comes out of Scripture as well. First Peter chapter one, uh, when Peter is writing, and he's saying, now that you have purified your souls. By your obedience to the truth, so that you have a genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from your heart. You have been born anew. This is 1 Peter 1, verse 23. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but what is an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. And then verse 25, he says, That word of the Lord is good news that was announced to you, And then we would naturally respond, thank you, thank you for the word of the Lord. So again, this is a phrase that Paul uses at the beginning of our reading here in the letter to the Thessalonians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, may spread rapidly and be glorified everywhere. And what's particularly interesting about this phrasing that he says, you know, let the word of the Lord spread rapidly, is that he's actually using a, a verb here um, to describe this action that's actually a sports kind of word, the spreading rapidly. I, I really imagine that Paul, after, if you read you know, his writings in, in the New Testament, he probably actually was a sports fan uh, because he uses several different little sports metaphors throughout his writing. So, and he, and you know, if, if you read Paul, you know, he can be a little rough too at times. So he kind of has the temperament of a sports fan too, right? But he uses this word in the original language. It would have been a word normally used for championship runners who, who are running a victory kind of lap. And so that's the idea that the word of the Lord would have this victory lap. But you would picture an athlete, you know, running with, with great strength and full endurance and carrying this victory, this news of this victory out. Uh, so, again, it's a sports metaphor that he's using Uh, And so to maybe apply it today, I'm going to maybe pull it into something that, I, as I've been talking about this now through two services, is a moment that I know is is almost held sacred around here. So forgive me uh, for using this, but I think it's appropriate. Uh, It's it's like this. He wants the word of the Lord to spread rapidly. And it's like this. The, The moment that the first baseman caught that final out in 2016, and I can, even under your mask, I can see you starting to smile. And, and you knew it at that moment, because I know before that, people were on pins and needles, like, are they going to blow it again? And then he caught that ball at first base, and that was it. There was that moment. And instantly, the board outside of Wrigley Field lit up and did this. Cubs win. The Cubs are world champions. Never thought you'd see that in your life. You'll probably never see it again. No. Cubs win. Cubs are, are, are world champions. And, and the stadium uh, the, the, was erupting, and the neighborhood around it erupted, and the city around that erupted. And even out here to the suburbs, I was talking to some – the reason this came to mind is I was talking to some neighbors recently, and they were like, oh, I remember that night. Even in Western Springs, it was crazy. I mean, you could hear people shouting in their houses, and then people came out of their houses in the neighborhood. We had to just celebrate it with each other, and the entire community was up. Okay? Now, 2016, we weren't anywhere close to Chicago. We were in Austin. And there were people celebrating down there, too. Like, are you kidding me? And suddenly, everybody was a Cubs fan. News of that, that out and their win spread rapidly. And it affected everywhere. And People just <gasps> couldn't help but put their hands up. And this actually had all over the world. I mean, suddenly, everybody was a Cubs fan, you know? But everyone like, you're kidding. And, and hands go up, and you're, you're celebrating. This is the sports metaphor that Paul is saying. Pray that the word of the Lord spread rapidly like that and be received uh, with glory. So in other words, as soon as Jesus did this, which is demonstrate his his love for us by going to the cross and paying the penalty by his bloodshed for our sin, okay? And then three days later emerged from that grave Alive again, and saying, Everyone who believes and has faith in this story gets to have eternal life. In other words, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. As soon as that happened, the church did this. It it should light up. He said that before he even went to the grave. He said, May the church be like a city on a hill, a beacon in a dark place. So, in other words, the church lights up with that good news. Jesus wins, and then people around the world and throughout time do this, put their hands up and glorify him and worship that because he won and he's sharing that victory with us and we all get to participate in it, and that's a good news that isn't just contained to a a season years ago, it's a good news that continues to be celebrated, the victory is here, Jesus wins, Jesus wins, Jesus wins. Pray that the word of the Lord go out rapidly. You see, Paul is telling us that the gospel isn't a good news that we would ever, ever want to sit on or or keep to ourselves. The gospel, by by nature, it's a good news that needs to be celebrated. needs to be celebrated and proclaimed everywhere. Pray, he says, that the gospel be spread rapidly. Go out like a championship, news of a championship runner. So our first observation from the text is this, evangelism, that sharing of the good news, the gospel, is a partnership that includes the whole church. The the work of evangelism, which is telling that good news, that story, letting it spread rapidly is a work that includes everyone, all of us in the whole church. Pray, he says, that's your first effort. That the word go out rapidly and received with glory. Now you gotta remember who he was writing to, the Thessalonians, they were pretty fresh. They had really only come to Christ maybe a couple of months-ish before that, and instantly they were attacked for it. What do you mean you're Christians? That's terrible. How dare you follow Jesus? I'll take your business away, I'll take your home away. I'm no longer friends with you. It's like we're not related. They were getting persecuted like crazy. And you kind of think that Paul would write to them about evangelism and be like, hey, look, I know you guys got a lot going on right now. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll handle the sharing of the gospel. Don't worry. You guys got enough going on. No, no, no. He says, pray. You be a part of this too. Pray that the word of the Lord go out rapidly and is received with glory everywhere. Because Paul knows what Jesus called for that's always been part of the story that the love of God is never fully grasped until it inspires in us a passion to share it with others. I hope you hear me. The love of God is never fully grasped until it inspires in us a passion to be able to share it with others. This is why it's framed in even the the great commandment that Jesus said, and be fulfilled there. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will love your neighbor. Well, how do we love them? By telling them the good news. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Let me take you back to that night of August 21st. It was sometime after 9.22 p.m. I drove over to my friend's house, and they had been so patient to, like, just embrace me as their brother. And I got to see how Christian people could live that was really sweet and genuine. You know, they they just really modeled it well. Not perfectly, but just modeled it well. And so it, after 922 prayer, I was like, I'm going to go over to their house. And so I went over and knocked on their door. And it was a little bit late, but they opened up and let me in. And, you know, I, just, I remember saying like, hey, um, I just, you know, uh, prayed the prayer and uh gave my life to Christ. And I just remember them being so overjoyed. They were like that's so great. And then invited me in and I know like uh, you know snacks came out it was like a little little feast party. But then the other weird thing happened she started pulling her phone out and they started calling people that I didn't know. And like, Simon just gave his life to Christ. And they hold the phone, and over the speaker, you hear people like, yeah, man, that's so great. Oh, that's so great. We've been praying for you, man. We've been praying for you for so long. I'm so excited. This is so awesome. It's like, what are you talking, I don't even know you. I don't even know who this is. It was, it was their, their group, like their rooted group, their fellowship group. And they had been telling him, hey, we got to pray for this guy. I, I think the Lord is really calling his heart. And I was like, what do you mean? You, you, you've been praying for me? You care about me? Yeah, their prayers were part of that effort that God used to bring the gospel into my heart, and I was instantly welcomed then into the friendship, fellowship of the church through that. I already had friends, and I didn't even know them. Which brings me again to my uh, second observation from the text, that we participate in the work of evangelism through our prayers and our proclamation. We participate in the work of evangelism through our prayers and through our proclamation. Again, we've already heard Paul say, pray, join us in prayer that the word of the Lord would go out and spread everywhere rapidly and be glorified everywhere, just like it was with you. And then he goes on to bless him and say, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God already talked previously how the love of God is something fully grasped, would create in us a desire and urgency to share it with others. It's, it's almost too much to hold on for just me. It's like you've got an ever-flowing bucket of popcorn. you just got to invite people in to, to feast on it with you. Remember again, the Thessalonian believers, they were, they were pretty fresh to faith. They really had just come to faith not long before that. But as Paul wrote in his introduction to them in the first letter, of Thessalonians, uh, to the Thessalonians. He's like, and and you guys, you became an example to all the believers in, in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord had sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but it's going out every place that your faith in God has become known. We don't even need to talk about it anymore. In other words, their conversion story was so powerful that news of that was, was filling Churches with excitement and other people were coming to Christ just based on their testimony. And they weren't even the ones saying it. But they were all in. That's what was exciting about the Thessalonian believers. They were all in, man. They were all in. So how could you be used to help further the evangelistic movement of the church? And a quick note, when you really start investing yourself in evangelism, and, and helping the church grow and reaching new people for Christ, I'll be honest, it fuels your faith. It really does fuel your own faith. But how can you be used to further the evangelistic movement of the church? Well, number one, pray about it. Pray about it. This is a very dense community, meaning like the houses are very close to one another, and the communities kind of blend over. You don't know what town you're in just based on one road passing over. So it's very connected. And I just see a billion people here that, that need to hear about the love of God, especially now of all times. So we can begin to pray about that and, and add that to your prayers, Lord. Will you help this church, which has been standing in this spot for more than a hundred and something years, continue to be a beacon for others to come and to learn about the love of God shown to us in Christ. Pray for that. Pray about that. If you're not sure how to pray, talk to one of us pastors, Lars, Joy, or I. Ask us how you can pray. And Get involved through your proclamation. Use your own story of faith. Where did you come to faith? Where did the revelation of God's love come alive to you? Where did you get it? Was it through a relational witness, kind of like me? Was it through a church outreach? Was it through a, a trusted friend? Was it a, a program or a class at the church that had just clicked for you? Was it at youth group? Children's ministry, was it in confirmation class? Where did you, you, you finally get it? God loves me so much that he sent Jesus to forgive my sin and, and offer me new life. Wherever, you, wherever that hit you first, that's a great place to start investing. That's a great place for you to go back because you can say, I was right there. I was right here where you are right now. That's the work of evangelism. Brings me to my third observation from the text because I know we start to hear these things and instantly go back to like, but oh, I'm not really doing it well enough. I don't know if I had the time. It's really crazy right now with everything going on. Third observation from the text. We need to pray for protection against evil, which is always trying to discourage the mission. As Paul writes, he says, at the same time you're praying for the gospel to go out, pray for us too. Pray for us too, um, because the enemy is always at work. The enemy is always at work. Pray for us too that we'd be rescued from wicked and evil people. Not Not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he'll strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. So pray for us. We're having a hard time with evil, wicked people that are trying to discourage the mission. Not everybody has faith. Pray for yourselves too that you'd be able to have strength to resist the evil one. Paul was concerned that a wicked and evil presence was keeping the gospel, trying to keep the gospel from spreading. And that is a work that the enemy continues to do today. Tries to discourage the church, tries to discourage believers individually, stands in opposition to the gospel. Nobody wants to hear it. This idea of wicked and evil. Evil, we kind of understand, opposite of God, opposed to God. Wickedness means uh, like trickery or unexpected ways, clever, right? And so through clever and unexpected ways, the enemy is always trying to trip up and discourage the work of evangelism in the church and in your own heart. But again, we accept that as believers, we are called to be in partnership for the rapid sharing of the gospel into the world. But we cannot ever deny the influence of evil. I was reading a book recently called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Glory of Christ. And it reminded me that Satan is always at work trying to keep up step with God and trying to discourage the church from doing its work and from the gospel from working out in your heart. Well, how does the enemy do that? A couple of different ways. One, by distraction. The enemy is always trying to distract us. We have never had a time, I think, in the history of the world where we are more instantly entertained than we are today. We all have a little device in our pockets that we cannot wait to pull out and look at for endless amounts of times to see what is out there. We're easily entertained and amused and sometimes shocked. We have these giant TV screens on our, on our walls that constantly give us a flood of entertainment and information that just seems so drawing That suddenly the day is gone and we've just been distracted. What about disillusioned? You know, we have so much disillusion right now, even in in our culture, in our nation. We're concerned, we're worried. What's happening now? What's going to happen soon? What's going to happen this weekend? What's going to happen in November? What's going to happen after November? Is everything that we've worked so hard to build up, is it going to come crumbling down? We're disillusioned right now. Maybe even discouraged fearful. We feel restricted and bound. I mean, we're all sitting here right now and the church is not even half full and we're on mass. Some people are online. I was sitting with a group of fifth grade boys this week and we were just talking about their lives and hey, what's going on and how can we pray for you. And it was interesting that all of them went around and just had a moment where even as fifth grade boys they were just like, I'm just sad school isn't really starting, you know? I was kind of hoping to see my friends and You could just tell they were discouraged. I know it's a battle that I constantly fight, discouragement. So where do we turn when we feel like the enemy is whispering those things to us, keeping us distracted or disillusioned or discouraged? Where do we go? We hear this blessing that Paul gave to the believers long ago for us today too. He says, may the Lord... Direct your hearts. The Lord who is faithful, may He direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And maybe that's a blessing you really need to receive fresh today as we consider our prayers and our work to continue to further the message. I have a prayer that I want us to share together that is really impacting my heart uh, this morning and, and maybe yours. It's going to be on the screen, and we can speak it together. And even if these are words that you're just trying to generate out of your own mouth, or maybe right now you're feeling distracted, even just saying these words, God can come and fill you in new and fresh ways. So let us pray, saying, Our Father, we hear you calling us into partnership with you, and by your Holy Spirit calling us together in sharing the good news to the ends of the earth. Lord, revive our stale hearts today. Remind us of your own story of salvation when your grace entered into our hearts. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Give us new urgency to pray and to speak of your love with those around us. And we ask that you would guard our hearts from all evil. Rescue us from distraction, disillusion, and discouragement. Direct us to your love, O Lord, and to your grace, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.